Welcome to Mentoring Moments. Mentoring Moments is a sub-series of the E-Commerce Edge podcast. It is composed of clips taken from Jason's one-to-one and group mentorship sessions. Hello, everybody. I'm here again with Stephen Jones, and we're on one of our one-to-one mentorship session calls today. And he brought up a couple of very good sort of questions, talking points that I think would be super able to a broader audience. And Stephen, you talked about the fact that this you've just taken on a new hire within the business. And we talked a little bit about how can we set up the people that we work with and the people that we're responsible for how can we set them up for success? And how can we make sure that they come in, that they're productive, that they're doing a great job, that they're bringing value to the business, but more importantly, how can we ensure that they're bringing value to our customers at the same time? So I felt like that was a really good topic of conversation to kick us off. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think so. This is my first first hire that I've made at any organization, actually. I'd say like mid-level, five, six, seven years experience in marketing, digital marketing and stuff. There's in terms of the skill set, like she's competent, it doesn't need any education from me in that regard. It's just getting her set up for success within the org and making sure that, that she's getting what she needs out of me. I'm conscious she's good at taking the initiative and it doesn't need very hands-on management. But because of that, like I don't know how to make sure I'm helping, not to make sure I'm being a useful manager for her. If she doesn't come to me and ask me for it, how do I make sure that she's... Yeah, yeah one of the things that I... You know, you set this up really nicely. And I think that one of the things that I said or would have said is that people don't really want to come to work to be managed. They want to, they want to be led. And there's a big difference between the two. And I think that a good leader, what constitutes a good leader, at least when I've been working for other people now, I don't work for other people now, but I do, I work for my clients, obviously. Mm -hmm. When I've worked for really amazing bosses, the thing that is set apart an amazing boss from a very average or poor boss is more how they lead, not the specific things that they do. And it's been about more about how can they create a safety net underneath me that makes me feel like I can almost do no wrong, that look, I can take the initiative, I can take a sense of leadership, I can take a sense of ownership over my role, and they're gonna support me in that, whatever that might ultimately look like, so long as I'm bringing good results to the company. And then two, I think the other thing that I mentioned that I think is useful is these people that work with us and for us and, and even ourselves in these companies, we're not going to be there forever. People don't stay in businesses forever. They stay two, three years max, and then they jump onto the next thing because they need the next challenge. Maybe they need the next move up in their career ladder. They need the next title, whatever it is they need. So the reality is people just aren't staying in businesses that long nowadays, two to five years max, and then they're on to the next thing. And so we have to think about that right from the word go, that they are not going to be with us forever. Also, we have to think of where they're at in their career life cycle and also in their personal life cycle. What is it that they are looking to get out of this role? Is it that they're looking to grow their pay packet as fast as they can? Is it that they're looking to grow their job title as fast as they can and advance in the business as fast as they can? Is it that they're looking to learn much as they can in the shortest period of time possible to help grow their skill stacking for their future? What is it? Is it that they want a ton of free time because they're involved in sports or they're involved, they need more free time for their family or do they not have kids? And so therefore they don't need free time, but they're willing to work 18 hours a day as long as they can learn. What is it that they are looking to get out of the role for them, selfishly speaking, what is it that they, if they look for two to three years before they leave the business, what is it that they would like to achieve in that time for them? And if we can help them achieve that whilst also bringing value to the business, then that's what we call a win-win. And so for us as leaders, it's our job 
to care enough and show enough empathy for them to figure out what the hell is it that they want out of this role? What is it that they're looking to get out of the role and to create an environment where they feel safe enough to be honest with us with the answer as opposed to telling us what we want to hear? And I think that's, yeah. that, that's the key thing, right? And it's sometimes as much about finding out what they don't want to do in the role as what they do want to do in the role. So if they come in and they go, as part of this role, I really do not want to be doing this thing because I've been doing it for five years and I'm bored of it. I don't want to do this thing as part of my role, but I'd rather do this other thing. Then I think if we can accommodate that whilst also achieving our goals as a business, then why wouldn't we want to create that environment? Yeah, yeah I think that's a really good, that's a really good. I think what I know, for example, is why she left her previous role. And I know what she was looking for out of this job and, and what drove her to leave former roles where she felt like she wasn't being fulfilled enough or challenged enough or what element of her skill sets was she just bored of using and what new skills did she want to acquire and what drove her to to this role. So I guess, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I think the uh, knowing what she doesn't want to do is going to be the most useful bit of that. I think, yeah, pr protect, sheltering and protecting her from the stuff that other people are going to want to do in that she's bored of. And that's why she left her other jobs. She didn't come here to do that. So yeah, making sure that she's able to do what's in her job description, not like all the other stuff. Yeah, so, not yeah. being a dog's body for everybody else. <laughs> exactly. Exactly that. And the other thing I think that you brought up that was super useful is that you were talking about how you as a vendor can grow agency partnerships, can grow demand both on their behalf mm -hmm. via those agency partnerships. And what might that look like? And what kind of benefits can you guys bring to the table for an agency partnership that would create a strong partnership and ultimately is going to drive in the medium to long term more business for you as a vendor? And I mentioned that what I've seen work the best, and I've been in this game for a very long time, working with lots of different vendors across lots of different categories of software. And there's a few ingredients. If I was to chuck ingredients into a cauldron and mix them all together and say, what does the, what, what does the ideal partner program look like? There's a few key elements, I think, that, that are pretty consistent across the partnerships that I've seen work the best. There has to be a clear commercial benefit, obviously, to the partner, whether that be you're sending them qualified opportunities that they can then execute on and hopefully close, whether that be the commission structure, whether that be the enablement that you're able to provide, there has to be some tangible benefits for the merchant, sorry, for the agency taking on your platform and really running with it and really positioning it effectively with potential merchant customers. And so mm -hmm. that, that would be my first thing is making sure that it's commercially attractive, making sure that the enablement is really clear. And it, enablement's tough, right? Because every partner will want a different level of enablement. Some of them are going to want primarily sales enablement. Some of, them are going to, some of them are going to want primarily technical enablement. And some of them are going to want partner opportunities, meaning partner activities, creating opportunities in the market for you guys to co-market together. And that might be lunch and learns. That might be dinners where, and I spoke a little bit about that before, which is I've seen merchant dinners and I've seen two different types of merchant dinners, one where the vendor comes along and spoils the party because it comes off as a pretty much a constant pitch all night long and one where the mm -hmm. vendor doesn't come along. And the ones where the vendor doesn't come along, ultimately, funnily enough, end up in better results for the vendor than if they do come along. Although they wouldn't mm -hmm. think that, it always ends up better when the vendor doesn't come along. Sure, maybe you have the whoever's hosting the party, and it's usually the agency, for example, that's hosting the party on behalf of the vendor or vendors that are sponsoring. And maybe they'll give a two-minute two minute stand up at the beginning of the evening saying, hey, thanks very much for XYZ vendor for sponsoring our night together. They've, they've enabled us to spend this evening together and have a nice meal together. But where I see great success is if a couple of the vendors' existing customers are also at the dinner, then the peer-to-peer -peer conversation takes over. 
And after people have had you know, their bellies full and they've had a couple of glasses of wine and they're loose lip, and then they're able to peer to peer in a way that actually adds value for each of them. Because oftentimes these merchants, have, they don't get a chance to go and share what's with each other, what's working, what isn't working. Hey, how would you tackle this? Hey, do you use this piece of software? Does it work good for you? What are its shortfalls? What is it great at? How, what was it like onboarding with them? What was it like being onboarded by an agency, for example, if it's an agency onboarding? What does the, in some cases, if it's an enterprise class piece of software, they want to necessarily even know how much it's going to cost. So, hey, how much did it cost for you to take this into the business? And how much of your ongoing costs or subscription costs. There's just so many valuable conversations that happen peer-to-peer that if you can just simply create the environment where those merchants can have those discussions, then oftentimes that's going to result in great business for you. You won't. It, it doesn't have to be a hard sell because in today's world, merchants don't buy based on hard sell. They based on they will ask their peers if they're looking at onboarding a piece of software into their business. They'll jump on the DMs in LinkedIn, or they'll jump on a Slack channel that they're a part of, or they'll email their mates that they know are running that software. And they'll say, hey, is the software good? Is it working well for you? Was the onboarding time what they said it was? All those questions, are you getting good ROI from it? What kind of resources do we need internally to get the best out of this software? Do we even need internal resources? Or is this all going to be white gloved by the vendor and it's plug and play? These are the kinds of questions that, that merchants don't ask vendors. They ask their yeah. peers. And yeah. so if you can just simply create the environment for those peers to have those conversations, you are going to be in the mix by definition. And so mm. this is the type of thing where I think vendors go so wrong, even down to gating content and everything else. For fuck's sake, your brand and your logo and everything else is on the content anyway. It's on the PDF. It's on whatever. Why the fuck are you gating the content? You're, you yeah. should be out there looking to educate and entertain, not hard sell, mm -hmm. not gate sell, just looking to create quote unquote leads for your sales team yeah. to try to go and close. It's completely the wrong mindset. And I'm not saying your company has that mindset. I'm not saying that at all because I don't no, know. No, it's true. It's true. Like the, like the content lead structure. That's definitely how I viewed events previously. You know, it was just as a revenue channel. But I think one of the things we talked about earlier was how it can be difficult for a company like ours. We're not a post IPO. We're not a massive like public tech company. We're like series A. We're still pretty small handful of customers handful of employees we don't have a mailing list of a million people we don't have you know so it's hard to we don't have the reach of a huge tech company so generating reciprocity for our partners isn't easy like people pay our service partners for their expertise and for their, their feedback and their advice and guidance they pay us for the software that we provide you know, even though there's an element of professional services with our company specifically but i think speaking as a tech vendor in general people don't pay us for our advice so we're never going to be able to generate the same number of leads for our partners as our partners can generate for us in a straight mutual lead referral one that doesn't exist so the way that we can give back to them is generally through our marketing and our reach and our budget but i think that should probably be the mindset that i use to approach events is not as less as a from listening to you less of a just a straight revenue channel straight get leads which are essentially no warmer than a content lead no warmer than someone that at least i get the content someone downloaded an ebook and giving you their email are they really any warmer than a cold lead or maybe not so yeah i think you're spot on that i should maybe just be viewing events as a way to generate reciprocity for our partners putting our an agency as the expert in the room and someone that has the backing of a software company that says hey these guys know what they're talking about here's a bunch of cash to run a dinner or like we, we trust them enough and then i think from what i've seen that causes a funny thing to happen whenever you like ask a customer to do a presentation at an event or something they're huge they become your biggest advocates and like they they pitch you more than you would 
I would never be pitchy, like in a presentation about the company that I'm working for. I do the opposite because I don't want to come across pitchy. But our customers seem to just be shameless. Like when you ask them to talk about how they do customer service, they'll start talking about your, your product and that and different features and benefits. But the, yeah, I think actually we don't need to be in the room for those conversations. We have a great relationship with all of our clients, so we should let them advocate for us and just enable that. Hundred percent. I think I think that is the smart way to go. And as I said, I think a lot of vendors they want to own the sales process end to end, as opposed to enable organic discussions to take place that may or may not involve your tech and your brand. I think that's the key, right? It's creating opportunities for peers to have valuable conversations where they wouldn't necessarily have that environment otherwise. And some s- small intimate events are much, much easier to facilitate those conversations than at big. You could go out, for example, you might, you could very easily at a major conference or event, you could very easily between spend between 50 and 100 grand for a booth or a weekend. How many freaking sure. dinners would that buy for 20 people? How many dinners would that buy for, for 20, 15, 20 people, an intimate conversation where the people that attend are going to get a hell of a lot more value out of it than walking up to you and having a conversation at your booth and just being able to call that an MQL, right? Mm. You've got a a marketing qualified lead, but at the end of the day, what rate are those going to close at with sales? No, you've got to look at that. You've got to look at the value that's going to bring. And so I just think that that guerrilla style of marketing, which is really just participating in the communities in which your customers live in, just by mm. participating in those communities and having conversations in those communities and offering advice, offering help, offering support. That to me is how you build brand. It's not hard sell. It just isn't. And where I see hard sell going on is where I see failure. I see brands failing at hard selling and it's getting worse for hard sellers than better. So I, I see the brands that are living their mantra. They are living their brands. They are having conversations in the places where their prospective customers and buyers live and have conversations. It is being part of the community as opposed to selling to that community. I think that's the key. And you know, you brought up you brought up a very good point with Sam Mendelson on his W6 community. They don't allow vendors to pitch. The way in which they have got their vendor list put together for their merchant community is the merchants telling Sam, hey, we use this technology. You guys should reach out to them and see mm-hmm. if we can get a deal for the W6 community through that, that vendor. The vendors don't come to them. They go to the vendors. And I think this is an example of how communities work now. You've got, I forget how many thousands of, of merchants he's got in his community now. I think it's a couple thousand or whatever it is. They have a conversation mm-hmm. in their community. It's merchants only. They are talking and discussing in the community about technology that's working in their companies. Then those get dumped into a massive spreadsheet of say 200 vendors of vendors that are good, that that do things well and are working for those merchants and those merchants are willing to effectively back those technologies and recommend those technologies to their peers, then that list is used by Sam to go and approach those vendors and say, hey, we've got a community that's talking about you in a favorable light. Can you do a deal for us, for our community so that anybody else that wants to onboard your tech can get better value out of it than just the standard merchant off the street, customer off the street? And it's these types of conversations that are being driven by the community. They're not being driven by the vendors. They're being driven by the community. This Mm -hmm. is the way. I think this is the future of of software sales or sales in general. It doesn't really matter what you're selling. That is the future of sales, is the community driving the demand. Yeah, it's a great point. I think Sam Mendel, I think W6 is a great example of what you're describing, like $9 billion or something worth of GMV. 
Yeah, and that's, that's collectively enough, that's enough to build a tech company. That, that's a TAM. Obviously. That's a, that's your whole total addressable market for a software company to get to IPO. <laughs> like you can serve that, then you're a happy boy. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Anything else you want to cover off today, uh, Stephen? Or we uh, we covered some good ground today. I think. Sure, that was awesome. Thanks, Jason. If you'd like to get mentored by Jason for free, head over to greenwoodconsulting.net, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click Get Mentored by Jason.